Good morning, everybody. And Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I was watching a show the other day, and it was an English show, and they kept saying Happy Christmas, and so I guess that's what they must say in English. In England, I don't know. So I grew up in Canada, which is is a Commonwealth country, and we didn't say Happy Christmas, said Merry Christmas. I thought it was interesting how different people say uh, Merry Christmas throughout the year, uh, throughout the world, I should say. But just welcome. Glad you're here. I know I, I see some some new faces. I see some uh, old faces is a bad word. Uh, veteran faces. Uh, just glad that everybody be, have a chance to come out to church today. It's just a, it's just a great day. It's going to be a great week. And as we move through Christmas and in New Year's, and we've gone to see family, and we've packed up and had family move back out of your house and on their merry way, and then you got to pack up your Christmas stuff. It's a busy time of the year. But it's a great time of the year because it's the time where we get to focus and concentrate on one great thing, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a great song that we, we just sang there. And the one line that stuck out to me is, to you I give my everything. To you, with a capital Y, I give my everything. And that's kind of the, the message, the theme of my message here today. So I'm going to ask you a couple quick questions. Who wants to do better in 2015? Let me ask you a better question. You might want to throw your hand down pretty quick. Who wants to crash and burn in 2015? <laughs> Nobody, right? We all want to do better. It's like that time of the year where we just take stock of your life, some people, and they're like, I just, I just got to do better this next year. I'm going to bear down. I'm going to get it right this year. I remember this old skit by the skit guys where the one guy says, I'm going to do better this year, and he just stands there and goes like this. <laughs> like, sometimes we just try. We're just trying, and we're trying, and we get to a point where we feel like maybe there's some failures or some things that have gone wrong, and the only thing I need to do is I just need to try harder next year. And it's just that, it's that turning of the clock, the turning of the calendar, where we think that we need to come back and just start over. Those are good things, yes. You know, but, but, we, but when we have the attitude of better luck next year, uh, and trying to do everything on our own strength, is when we, we get defeated. We do. And that's, that's why that, that verse to you, I give my everything. I give my everything. So it's an opportunity as you sit here today, as you listen, as you ponder, as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, and as you go forth here today, it says, what does that mean to you? I give you my everything, Father God. He wants our whole life. He wants everything. He wants your whole 2015, just like he wanted your whole 2014. He wants it all. And that's a good thing. He doesn't want you at all to turn you into a robot. He wants you all, you're all, to set you free. So if you came here today to embark on a New Year's resolution, which many have, let me remind you that Jesus resolved it all for us at the cross. He did. That's the resolution. He finished it there. Many, just think of this, many today will make a New Year's resolution or on the, on the 31st to do better, to eliminate a bad habit, to try to fix something with their willpower, or give that proverbial 110%. I coach hockey and kids say, I'm going to give you 110% coach. I'm like, you only got to give me 100. Right? Did you realize that I read this in a couple different places online, so it's got to be true? Uh, Nearly 88% of Americans will make some sort of New Year's resolution. And within a month and a half, less than 20% have kept that promise to themselves. Think about that. We all make promises. Like I've preached before, think about as you tie that into what, like the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you came once a year to the temple to allow the high priest to resolve your failures of the past year. 
Today, for some unbelievers, uh, they have no other option but to start fresh once a year. That's it. It's like, this is my time of the year to start fresh. And, 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 and we come up with a New Year's resolution that we are gonna, we're going to complete it this year. There's nothing wrong with taking stock of your life and seeing how we can get better in the new year, but it's how we do that. How do we, how do we take 2014 and all the successes we had in 2014 when you think of it that way, and you carry it into 2015. We thank God, we praise God, and we ask him to give us everything because we're going to give him everything. And for the believer, we have our Savior Jesus Christ, do we not? That's the whole purpose of celebrating Christmas. It's to remind us of what came to earth. God's promise came to earth. So in the later point in time, when he would go to the cross and die and be resurrected and ascend into heaven, that the promise of everything that God gave to Jesus would be implanted inside of us. That's our resolution, our New Year's resolution, is to, to remind ourselves of that and remind ourselves of what we have in Christ, apply that to our lives. So your relationship with Jesus Christ is a daily relationship. And because of the finished work of the cross and God living on the inside of us, we need not be stuck in our issues. We need not be dragged down by things in life. As a believer, we, can, we need to commit to something you already possess, possess. We don't need to go looking for anything new. We just need to pick up something that's been in our life all along if you're a believer. And we need to partake in that and partake in what God has already done in our lives, what God has already done at the cross through Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. Today is the day to take, a whole, take off your old clothes, so to speak, put on the new ones. So today I'm going to share some scriptures, what I think are just great uplifting scriptures, things that just show you great promises throughout God, what God has for us. And Romans 8, 15 through 17 is my first one. And it says this. I'm going to read it out of the King James Version, and then I'm going to read it out of the, the Phillips New Testament uh, translation. It says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, where we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then it says we are heirs, heirs of God. So whatever God is going to lay out there, we rightfully get that. And he says we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So we're heirs of God, but we're joint heirs with Jesus, which means we have the same inheritance that Jesus got. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What a great scripture. If you're a joint heir because of your confession in your mouth and your belief in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you have joint heir with Jesus Christ. So instead of reacting in fear and trying to fix one part of our life, let's react in faith and let God do a mighty work in our whole life. Romans 8, 15 through 17 in the Phillips says this, the same verse, but in the Phillips. All who follow the leading of God's spirit are God's own sons and daughters. Nor are you meant to, do, to relapse into the old slavish attitude of fear. You have been adopted into the very family circle of God, and you can say with a full heart, Father, Father. The Spirit himself endorses our inward conviction that we really are the children of God. Think what that means. If we are his children, we share his treasures. And all that Christ claims as his will belong to all of us, as well. Yes, if we share in, this, in his suffering, we shall certainly share in his glory. I like how it just spells it out there in, in, in terms that I can understand better, maybe sometimes in the, the King James does. 
But what two great, two great translations there. See, we're sons and daughters of God. We're not meant to go back into our old ways. That's what it's saying. He says, you've been set free. And so when you call, anytime you feel like you're stumbling, you can call out, Abba, Father, Father, Father. Anytime you feel like you're on the mountaintop, you can cry out, Father, Father, Abba, Father. That word Abba is, is that Jewish term for father, which is an intimate thing, that, an intimate word where they would call their dad. And that's what Jesus was relaying here. He's saying, or, and Paul too, is like that you can say Abba, Father. That's how close a relationship it is to you. It's not a distant relative or, or someone you just met. It's Abba, Father, something so close, something so precious. There's nothing closer than that is what the Jewish people would say when they called their dad Abba. There was nothing closer. When you call God Abba, there's nothing closer. And it's, the in, it's your spirit's inward conviction, I've talked about this before, that reminds you of who you are as a believer. That's what the scripture's also saying. It's that inward conviction that says, you know what? Because I am a believer, because I have this great relationship with Father God, because he has set me apart, I can call out Abba Father. And for all of us, for all of us, we get stuck in our own selfish behavior, and it's caused us to get stuck in a behavior, maybe, or a, a thing in our life that we're not proud of, or we don't want to be part of anymore, or it's caused us to do something that we're not very excited about. It's that selfish behavior. And what I mean by selfish is that we get our eyes on ourselves, and we allow ourselves to be the God of our life, and then we start adding things to our life that, that God doesn't want in our life. And as they get and spin and maybe a little bit out of control, you realize... It's not what I want in my life either. But it's our opportunity to go back to Father God and say, Abba, Father, I need some help here. Christian believer, don't try to fix it. Don't try to fix your problems in a way that the non-believers would try to fix your problems by just buckling down and doing better. Those are good things, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't try hard in certain things. But that shouldn't be our only thing. We need to realize who we have living on the inside of us and what the Word of God says and allow him to change our whole life. At the end of Romans 8.17, it talks about Jesus suffering. When did Jesus suffer? He suffered before he went to the cross. He was beaten. And when he got to the cross, he was nailed to the cross, of course, and he, and he died there. That's where Jesus suffered. We don't see Jesus suffering right now. He's in the heavenly place in the throne room. So when I see that word suffering, I understand that as a Christian, when you speak who you are in Christ, and tell people that you're a Christian. Sometimes we suffer persecution. You get alienated. I understand that part. But what, what I think he's trying to say is that you are coming into agreement that how Jesus suffered for you, and then you can understand what he did for you, that you can now live free. And then it talks about we come into agreement with all, that we will all be glorified. And when are we going to be glorified? When we get our new bodies. When Jesus returns? Or we go to heaven. You're going to get a new body. That's your glorification. So there's the suffering of Christ. There's the glorification with Jesus. So in between is when we reign as heirs. Does that make sense to you? Jesus suffered for us so that we could live this life as kings and queens in the kingdom of God. And later if Jesus returns before we die, or we die and go to heaven, then we get our glorified bodies. So know that when you do have some problems, when you do suffer persecution or you suffer rejection it's okay Jesus has suffered much more than that so that you can in your suffering 
call out to him and say, you know what, Father God, let's get over this. I want to be done with this. I want to move forward. Now, Jesus and God don't put suffering on you. God doesn't put suffering on you in a physical way to make you become closer to God. He's not going to do that. He's not going to attach some sickness or disease to you to make you suffer and say, now with this, I'm going to use it to get closer to me. You can get closer to God in, in many different ways. And when you get sick or you have a disease, you can certainly dig into the word and get closer to God. But God's not going to use those things to get your attention. I don't believe that. God, so we come into agreement with Jesus, the word of God, and resolve to be in that daily, and we allow the word to change your life. That's what we do. That's, what, that's our plan for the new year. God doesn't just want to fix your issue. He doesn't want you to just think of that one thing that you're struggling with. He just doesn't want to fix that one thing. He wants to change your whole life. I've heard someone say, God doesn't want a part of your life. He wants your whole life. He doesn't want me and, and you to, to just say, I'm only going to concentrate on this little area. He's, he wants us to say, you know what, God, I'm going to give you my whole life. And then, when we give, then, then he can work on your whole life. And then when he works on your whole life, the little things that are causing you the, the pain and the sorrow or the grief they will slowly and sometimes immediately go away. There's people in this room here that I look out and see that things have happened to them immediately. By saying, turning their whole life over to God or recommitting their life to God, that the things that aren't of God are removed immediately. Alcohol, smoking, drugs, swearing, overeating, fill in the blank. There's not one sin or anything that's greater than the other one, but there's certain things in our lives that God will just immediately remove from us. And there's certain things in our lives, I believe, uh, that, that he's worked on me over the years and allow me to remove them from my life. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Isn't that great? It's the Spirit that says you are a child of God. So we will overcome in our spirit just as Jesus. That's who, that's, that's our gauge, that's our meter, as we overcome because of Jesus has overcome the cross. Our relationship with Jesus makes us heirs of God, is what it said. So when someone comes to you with a problem uh, and says something to you, and you, we should be able to speak life into them instead of speaking maybe the same old, same old about, you know, uh, maybe I'm just trying to say is not something of what God would say to them. Oh, you poor thing. You know, we don't want, I don't think we should minimize someone's problem, but we should be able to speak life into them as well. If God has given us the word, or God has given us his life on the inside of us, when someone comes to us as Christians, we should be bold enough to be able to speak life into them. This is what the word of God says about you. This is what the word of God says about your situation. And speak boldly into that. And here's some more good news for you in John 3.36. It says, and he who believes, I'm going to read this from the Amplified, and he who believes in, in, and I love this part, it says, has faith in, clings to, relies on, the Son has eternal life. But whoever disobeys is unbelieving toward, refuses to, tr- to trust in, disregards, is not subject to, the Son will never see experienced life. But instead the wrath of God abides on him, which is God's displeasure remains on him. His indignation hangs over him continually. That wrath is, that wrath you're going to feel when you die. The wrath of God is like, if you, do te- if, you, if you choose not to be a part of God's family by becoming a Christian, the wrath that God has is you'll be separated from him for eternity in hell. That's the wrath. In the Old Testament, we saw different types of wrath that came upon people. 
But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, God is not doing that to us. But you have the choice to, to come into his family. And if you don't choose to come into his family, then the wrath will be at a later date when you die. Or when Jesus comes back, and then you call out, Father, Father, and he's like, I don't know who you are. You never confessed me like that. So cling to God. Rely on the word. Think about this. If you're clinging to something, for, if you're clinging, you can't cling to something else. I'm not strong enough to hang on like a gymnast, to hang on to two rings like this, right? Have you ever seen a guy in, in do an iron cross in gymnastics on the rings? No, I'd be like hanging on to this one, right? Let that one go. So that's what he's saying. You can't cling to God, you know, and then try to cling to the things of the world. You've got to cling to one or the other. So he's saying cling to God. Rely on him. And that's kind of how it, when we see as we get to the new year and we, and we want to move forward into 2015 and we want to just do so much better, the only thing you really need to do is cling to God. Just cling to him. And say, what do you got for me? And let go of some of the other things. And when you cling to God, the things of the, that, that you've struggled with in the past are going to dissipate. They're going to move away. John 3.36 in the message says this, the one that God sent speaks God's words. And don't think he rations out the spirit in bits and pieces. I love how it says that. He just doesn't give you a little bit. I wrote down behind that, overflow, avalanche, waterfall. He just pours it out on you. It goes on to say, the father loves the son extravagant, extravagantly. He turned everything over to him so he could give it away. It says he could lavish, a lavish distribution of gifts. That is why whoever accepts and trusts the Son gets in on everything, life, complete and forever. And that is also why the person who avoids and distrusts the Son is in the dark and doesn't see life. Do you realize what he's saying here? He's saying that God sent Jesus to us and God equipped Jesus with everything he possessed to transfer to us. So he sent Jesus down here and equipped him with everything of God. And when Jesus died and, and rose again, and we call upon the name of the Lord, and we get baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, he fills us up with everything that God gave to Jesus. Think about that. That's an amazing thing. That's just not just being an average Christian or just being someone who goes to church or, or having a religious background. That is a power plant on the inside of you. So today when you find yourself in the need of being fixed or changed in an area of your life that God has already provided for you everything that he gave to Jesus, and now he's supernaturally planted on the inside of us. And then he's also left us with the word of God too. Instead of looking for a new or quick fix, fall back on something old. Fall back on what God has already done and absorb that. Philemon says this in, in 1.6, Faith may be, become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. It says we can, we can activate the divine nature that God has left us. That's what that scripture is saying. Start by saying, saying about yourself what God is already saying about you. He says to activate that. You have it. It's written out for you. It's on the inside of you in the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. He's saying, now activate that in your life. And we need to acknowledge who we are is what it says there. I love that word, the acknowledgement. It's a big word. You need to acknowledge. You need to know who you are. See, every born-again believer has the faith of God already on the inside of you. You don't have to go looking for anything more. It's already on the inside of you. So this new year or this, this day when you're 
when you think you want to go try to do something new to, to get you over the hump or fix your problem, you just need to go back to what you already have on the inside of you and what you have in the Word of God. Acknowledge that and allow that to work in your life. Romans 7, 18 says, In the flesh we have no good thing. There's your, there's your other side of the coin. In the Spirit and in the Bible, you have every good thing. In our own selves, in our own flesh, we have no good thing. I'm going to weigh those out, and I'm going to go with the Word, and I'm going to go with the Holy Spirit. The old, the old excuse that we are only human doesn't work so much all the time, because if you are a born-again believer, one-third of you, your spirit, is Jesus-like. So one-third of you is not just human. It's like the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. And when we begin to learn what has happened to us in the Spirit and find ourselves in the Word of God, we are able to overcome. Do you think, what do you think, what do you think happened to Jesus when he, was, when he was growing up? He learned the Word of God. He learned it. And then how did Jesus find out who he was? He found himself in the Word of God. He found out who he was. He found out all the promises of God for who he was in the Word. He studied it out. All those prophecies and all those things about who he was, he read about them, he learned about them. Same thing we need to do. We need to do the same thing Jesus did and find out who we are and what we are promised in the word of God. You know, and I'm sure God could have done anything when, when the first words that Jesus could have spoke could have been mama or daddy or however how you say it, Abba. You know, that's what he did. He's just like the rest of us. He, he learned and then he learned who he was in the Bible. Now, God is infinite and wise and mighty. He, you know, Jesus could have, the first words he could have said is, I'm the Savior. Could have done that. But he didn't know that at the time. He had to find out in the Word who he really was. And it's no different for you or me. We need to find out in the Word who we really are. John 6, 63 says, uh, Speak the words of God, which Jesus said, and this is what it says in John 6, 63. Those words are spirit and they are life. 1 John 5.11 says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Pretty black and white there. Some people want to mull over and make your relationship with Christ a gray area. It says it's pretty black and white. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. He says, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name and the Son of God. John 17, 3 says eternal life is to know the one true God and Jesus who he sent. That's what it says eternal life is. Now how many people here are Christians today know who God is and know who the Son he sent? So right now you are living in eternal life. It starts at the moment of salvation, your eternal life. You know, we just don't have to wait until the very end of our life when we die and we go off into heaven, or for some who haven't confessed Jesus Lord, off into hell to start your eternal life. It starts today. Because you know the one true God and Jesus who he sent. That's what it says in John 17, 3. So eternal life starts today. It starts at your salvation. So if you feel like you haven't been living this God kind of life because maybe you've gone astray from what God says, if you're a Christian... And you know what the Word of God has said in the past? You come right back to it. And you start fresh today. The Scripture is written to the believer. The Scripture that I talked about is written to the believer to remind us of what we possess. The passage, the passage basically says, you possess, possess life. The life, with a capital L. 
It reminds us that we possess light with a capital L, the light. It's telling you that's what you have on the inside of us. The light that God has downloaded in us is our strength. And the life that God has downloaded inside of us is our strength to manage everything in our lives. Think about that. What we have on the inside through, through Jesus Christ is the strength that allows us to manage our lives. So if we have the ultimate general manager on the inside of us guiding us, let's stick with that. Let's go back to that when we feel like we need a change or we feel like we need a, a new resolution for 2015. Take what you feel like you need to do this, this new year, that one thing, and just say, you know what, Father God, I'm giving this to you because you've already taken care of, of this for me at the cross. And so you know what, I'm going to go side by side with you, Father God, and I'm going I'm to do better this year. I'm going to do great this year. But I'm going to do great because you have downloaded inside of you, me, your Son, and, your, and the Holy Spirit. And for many of us, when that Holy Spirit gets downloaded inside of us, then he starts downloading the Word in it. So you see, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's when the Word starts to take root and starts to make sense to you. I was thinking to myself the other day in Mexico. I was in Mexico. As you look up there, many of you guys know Allie and Kyle, the former Allie Katz, who's now Allie Bergmeier, and Kyle Bergmeier, who go to church here, and Allie's helped us out with uh, youth group for many years, and her mom, uh, second service, and she's done, if you have kids here at church, she's done Sunday school with them forever. They got married last week, or on Sunday, yeah, last week, in Cabo. And I had the opportunity, Cass and I had the opportunity to be down there with them and, 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 and marry them. And so when I was down there, and the reason why I showed that is because a lot of people know you, and I thought it would be a nice picture just to see how awesome they are. Two people, who, two people who chose to allow God to work in their life and felt like God's going to bring them a spouse. And when you look at the two of them, you're like, I think God did a pretty good job of bringing them together. Just an amazing thing. It's about waiting on the Father God. If you ever have a chance to sit down and talk to Allie, and listen to her testimony. Her testimony isn't blood and guts and gore. It's about awesome, 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 and how she just waited, waited, waited until God brought her the desire of her heart. It's an amazing testimony. But the reason why I'm talking about being in Mexico is because I was standing on the beach, and I looked up at the stars, and there's, it's just billions of them. You can see them all because there's no city lights around. And I thought to myself... And the Holy Spirit just, just gave me this. He says, the reason why on that Christmas day that the star was so bright was because they needed to pick the right one, right? Now, if I was going to follow a star walking in, down in Mexico and I needed to go somewhere, and I'm like, I need to follow a star to get there, I would have looked up and went, there's no way. But, you know, when that day uh, at Christmas time when Jesus was born over 2,000 years ago, there was the bright star. And they're like, well, that's got to be it. Well, today is the same thing. It's like that. there's only one star to follow. It's the brightest star. It's the morning star. It's Jesus. There's only one, and it shines above everything else. See, the devil, he didn't even have a light. He has darkness. He might try to, try to mess you up and, and bring a small light into your life and say, this is, this is good for you. This is, this is where you need to go. But it's that bright star that we get to follow. And I just felt like God was speaking to me, saying that's why it was so bright back then, so that they physically could follow it. And he's saying, you know, for the future generations, I'm still going to be the brightest star, that you'll know it's me when you follow it. So when, we, when the things of the world or the lies of the devil try to break through, 
It's God's light, which is in you, and it will shine brilliantly and overpower those false promises. John 6.63 says to speak the word of God, which I just said earlier, which is spirit and it's life. When you speak the word of God over your life and over your situation, you are speaking spirit, you're speaking truth, and you're speaking life. And it trumps those negative words that maybe have been spoken about you your whole life and what you've been speaking about yourself. I'm talking with Cassie on the beach down there, and I, there was a guy flying by in this big, uh, it was kind of like a hang glider with a motor on this guy, and he's flying by the beach. He's like, Here's the rocks, and there he is. And I'm like, I hope today isn't the day that he hits the rocks. I said that. And Cassie's like, those are some nice words to speak out of your mouth. i got to catch myself because we say negative things. Why? I don't need to say stuff like that. Some people might think that's a crazy thing, like, oh, those are just words. But it's true. Our words are important. What are we speaking out of our mouth? We want to speak God's word, which is spirit and life. So speak that over your own life. Speak that over the life of your family. You will never see how new you are or how bright you shine until you see it in God's word. That's me. I'm a son of the Most High God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I'm an heir of God. Those are all you. Those are all me. Those are good news things. Just think Jesus' ministry started when he was 30. He had 30 years of studying and to find out who he was. And that first time he set, went to the temple, and Jim might be able to help me with the scripture, but he preached the scripture from Isaiah, I believe it was, and he just sat down. And you know why I sat down? Because he's like, bam, I've arrived. That's what he said. That was his time. That was the time when he was, had gotten enough of the word to know that it was time. And he sat down. There's a great time in your life when you get the word in you, and you can just speak it out, and you can, and you can understand, and you can just sit down, and you just go, bam. It's there it is. Try, try to put something else on me, enemy, or put something else on me, person at work, or things like that. You can get so much confidence, you can just sit down and say, you know what? This is what God's word says about me. I'm just going to sit down and rest in that. We can have that, just like Jesus did. The word of God, for you, for Jesus, was to show us our purpose in life, to show us what we're supposed to do. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, And his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Think about that. It goes on to say, Which he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in, corruption that is in the world. Look at what's in there. All those nuggets. He's given you his divine power. He's given you exceedingly great and precious promises. He says, you are a partaker of his divine nature. And he says, with part, when you're in his divine nature, when you partake of that, you can escape, or you have escaped the corruption of the world. That's an amazing thing. I was just thinking about that the other day, and I was like, you ever been, when you were in junior high, how many have ever been to a junior high school dance? It's the most awkward thing, right? There's the girls who are over here. And the boys are over there, right? They're over here just standing. And there's nothing going on in the middle. There's no partaking of the dance, right? And eventually there's one brave girl that runs over and, and then everyone starts to get in there. It's like the most, I remember, it's like the most awkward thing. I'm like, I just want to go home right now. This is awful, right? Or, so you're really not partaking in the dance. You're just kind of on the outskirts checking it out. 
It's kind of like when you look at Allie and Kyle's wedding pictures on Facebook or, or someone emails them to you. You're like, man, I was at Allie and Kyle's wedding. No. You didn't partake in the wedding. You were just on the outside looking in. So those, if you get what I'm trying to say, it's like God says you are a partaker of his divine nature. That's amazing. Just think of the creator of the universe that created everything. You, me, sent his son to die for us. All those things. All those great things. He has said to you personally, you get to partake in my divine nature. Whoa. That's amazing. To me, that's greater than uh, throwing the stars in the air and, and putting the animals on earth and, and making the oceans and the land and the sea. He says, you know what? You, little old you, I've made you a partaker of my divine nature. That's amazing. And when you realize that you get to partake in his divine nature, man, oh man, your New Year's resolution is going to be like this. Kick it to the curb. Because you're like, that's just little. That's little stuff. Because I get to partake in his divine nature. What an amazing thing. So don't just stand there, leaning against the wall on one side of the gym when other people are leaning on the other side of the wall and there's nothing going on. Jump in and partake of his divine nature. Pastor David Sharon in his book, The Master Key, said this. When you were born again, a supernatural change took place in you. A change so dramatic and seemingly impossible that only God could have brought it about. You become a partaker of your Heavenly Father's divine nature. Partake means to receive and enjoy something. Divine refers to what is of God himself, which flows from him. Receive and enjoy something that is of God and is flowing from God. Partake of his divine nature. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Do you know who's born of God? You and me, the believer. Remember what, remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? You need to be born of, again. And Nicodemus says, How do I go back in my mother's womb and be born again? He says, No, no, no. Whatever's born is born, but whatever's born of the Spirit is born of God. You've been born of God, believer. And when you're born of God, you have victory with him. And that victory is the one that has overcome the world. So if you just feel like you've been kicked and, and knocked down and the world's just too much for you, you, you just need to find out what this says. It says, no believer, because you are born of God, because you are believing that you're a partaker of his divine nature, you have overcome the world. It says in John's word, God's word translation, everyone who has been born from God has won the victory over the world. It's amazing. 1 John 3, 9 says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. It's talking about our born-again spirit. We know that people sin. We sin. You make a mistake, you sin, you mess up. That happens. Each and every day, we do these things. But what the scripture is really telling us is that it's your born-again spirit that doesn't sin because it's perfect. It's your born-again spirit that is always partaking in the divine nature. And when we allow our born-again spirit to rule our lives, then our flesh and our soul and our minds and our bodies will line up. That's what it's saying. And so, by being a partaker of his divine nature, you have the perfect spirit. You have Jesus living on the inside of you. And Jesus' spirit is the same as your spirit, and it never sinned. And so we can, we can do that. But when we do make a mistake, we do mess up, we do sin, you just go back to say, you know what, that's not me. I'm a partaker in his divine nature. 
Romans 6, 1 through 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid, it says. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer? You know what that word, that phrase, God forbid, that was like the, one of the strongest rebukes you could find in the, in the Bible. You could take some words that we wouldn't want to use in church and say, no. Heck, no. That's what he's saying. That is a strong rebuke. It goes on to say that in, in, in some different translations, it says, that's unthinkable. No way. God forbid. God forbid. Absolutely not. So what he's saying is so because of God has given us this amazing grace that we can just live in sin because uh, it's okay, because, because of his divine nature, we can just do what we want. He's saying, God forbid. No, absolutely not. That's unthinkable. Why would you want to do that, he says. He says because of this amazing grace that you can see how free you are and you can pull yourself out of this world of sin. I love that message. God forbid, he says. When you think about that, it's one of the strongest rebukes in the Bible. It says, you know what? No. Move forward, he says. Romans 6, 2 says that shall we live an old life when we have been given a new one. That's what it says. Shall we partake in an old covenant when Jesus secured a new one? Shall we live under the law when grace abounds towards us? No way. Absolutely not. That's unthinkable. He's saying move forward. I like what it says in the Phillips Bible. What a ghastly thought. It's like some Shakespeare writing. What a ghastly thought. Why would, why would you do that when God has given you freedom and allows you to partake in his divine nature? Why would you want to live in that lifestyle? And if we've been caught up in that lifestyle, he says, no, no, no. You're a partaker of my divine nature. Come back and be part of that. Simply remind the devil and yourself what kingdom you live in, what covenant you belong to, what covenant you're a part of, and move on. You gotta tell him that sometimes. You gotta go back and just say, you know what, that's not me. I'm part of the divine nature. I'm a partaker of that. No way am I going back into that again. As we just finished Christmas, the birth of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's, we know he was born so that you could live. And Pastor Jeff has preached this before. Jesus was born so he could die, so that we could live. It's the only person that ever came for the simple reason was to die. The rest of us were put on this earth to live, live free. But Jesus was born at the appointed time that he would die so we could be set free. And Paul is the one that comes, and the Apostle Paul is the one that points us back to that all the time. He was telling these people back in the Old Testament, like, you already got this. You already are a partaker of this divine nature. Now, utilize that in your life. And that's what I'm here to tell you today. So if you are a believer, if you're a Christian and you feel like you've kind of strayed and gotten off the beaten path or whatever, you just need to realize that you're a partaker of his divine nature. And nothing has kicked you out of that kingdom. Not one thing. So if you come today and you have your New Year's resolution all ready to go and you're just like, got the countdown, like maybe it's yeah, has to do with food and you're like, I only got two days, I'm just going to go to China Buffet today and load up. I'm going to get it all in there. So come midnight, New Year's Eve, I'm like, oh, I can't even move. You know, that's okay. I'm not judging you. <laughs> and a lot of times we want to turn over a, a new leaf. The thing is, a leaf withers and it dies. Being part of the divine nature by being a partaker of that is never going to die. 
So it's his, it's his word. So if you can only receive, let me just finish with this. You can only receive the benefits of the Father as a son or a daughter, and today is the day to become part of the family. If you are a believer, and you're trying to turn over a new leaf, realize that you are already attached to the Father. It says in John 15, right? That you're attached to the vine. You're attached to the divine vine. You're attached to it and grafted in. And all that nourishment from that tree is coming out to the branch. That's you. Attach yourself or reattach. I remember when we had a broken tree when I was growing up, my dad took duct tape and just taped that thing up. And then within a couple months, took the tape off, and it was, voila, it was there again. Just attach yourself to the tree and get nourished. Attach yourself to that vine. And what a great reminder about communion is just realizing to tell yourself, I'm attached to that divine vine. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. And I'm going to express that by coming up and saying, thank you, Father God. And I'm going to take that cracker, I'm going to dip in the juice, and I'm going to receive that. And I'm going to walk out of here today, high-stepping, knowing that I am part of his divine nature. I am attached to his vine. And when you get that mental attitude, when you get that, that feeling in your, in, your, in your spirit, you'll be able to overcome that one thing that's been keeping you down. And how are you going to do that? It's because he's going to change everything about you. He's going to take your whole life and he's going to mold it and he's going to fix it up so that, you know what? Those little things don't attach to you anymore. You're going to push them off. I know there's people in here that, that struggle with alcohol and drugs and, and overspending and overeating. This time of year, overeating is a big one. You know what? Just tell Father God, you know what, Father God? I've let myself go. I, I made some mistakes, but you know what? Because I'm a partaker of your divine nature, help me. And find out in the word of God all those promises about who you really are and what his plan is for you. Amen? If you want to come up and take communion today, it's at your leisure today during the, during the last song here. Like we say, if you're, not, if you're new to our church, we take by intention, which means we take the cracker from the plate, we dip it in the juice, and then, and then we put it in our mouth. The only thing that we ask for you to take communion is if you're a Christian. If you ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, that's it. If you feel like you've got to crawl yourself up or drag yourself up here because you feel like you're stuck in something so bad, come up here. Perfect time to come up here and say, Father God, I'm giving it all to you and take. So Father God, we thank you and praise you so much that you have allowed us to partake in your divine nature. Father, we thank you that as we come before you, you see us as perfect and without spot and blameless. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to come to earth, Father God, so that we could live in your kingdom here on earth. Father God, we thank you for your eternal life that has started already in our lives. And Father, we thank you and praise you that as we go forward from here, that you will show us new and mighty ways, not only to excel in life, Father God, but also to help alleviate some of those things that have kept us and dragged us down, Father God. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.